This episode of See Here is brought to you by the Reedsdale, the Prédichon, the Esplanade, Pub! gentlemen welcome to see here next episode of music movie podcast you know who i am i don't need to uh, explain and on the other side of uh, the world here we've got my brother in arms brother from different mothers uh morris brzezinski in melbourne Come on. we've got mr bernie snotwell stick well lovely old england good, uh, good morning hello yeah hello bernie we've got hello tim Mrs. Uh, Wendy Freeman in Chicago. Chicago represent. Hey, friends. Isn't that Wendy Van Den? That's right. <laughs> I gotta wait for the papers to get signed. Wendy, I gotta wait for you. Wendy oh, Van Dam the six. Yeah, now I'm kind of rooting for him to get back with his ex-wife. I don't know. I mean, you know, they've only been married twice. Right. But, you know, you'll soon be able to sing, uh, you know, I am Wendy the six, I am Wendy the six, I am, I am. <laughs> So maybe he should marry me and then go back to her for a seventh. I'd be okay with that. Wow. Wendy, would you uh would you marry Steven Seagal? No. Okay, just want to clear that up. <laughs> I have standards, sir. What about what about <laughs> Dolph? Oh God, yes. I mean, he plays drums. He he's a genius. He I put it I put it, marrying him above Van Dam. Yeah. He yeah. sounded like a horse as well, wasn't he? Oh God, he's so he's so <laughs> handsome. I would still, even mangled up Dolph, I would still take that, yes. Did you hear what I said then? <laughs> He's from the horse, isn't he? Yeah, okay, no, it's just you reacted to it in a really sort of calm, like, uh, take it in your stride kind of way, so. Right, right, right. Well, uh, that's fact. But then I There's guess that's, that's who you are, Wendy. Just, yeah, that's just facts. That's not, like, shocking yeah. in any manner. That's yeah, just no, right, right. I've seen those pictures of him with Grace Jones. All right, well, getting, uh. Do you getting it ready for you, Tim? Getting away from Dolphin the horse, uh, well, I, I, actually, it'll fall, it'll fall back into play later on as we, we get into, uh, today's episode with the beer can. But anyway, uh, I just want to say, uh, get, let's get into, uh, the episode. We're going to talk about, uh, this month, a uh, very special film that's near and dear to my heart. One that, uh, I've been really aching to do for a long time with you mugs. And, uh, I think, uh, we're going to talk today about uh, a little band called the Cosmic Psychos, uh, three male models from Melbourne, an Australian <laughs> dancer to uh, One Direction. So we're going to look at a little film called uh, Blokes You Can Trust. And in honor of uh, today's presidings, uh, I've gone and uh, got myself a little bit of uh, love in a can. So we're uh, from Australia, sitting there holding a, a Victoria Bitter. It's not the best Australian beer, but it's the only one that was available here. So here's to the boys. I'm going to start off our proceedings with, there we go. Crack a little love <laughs> in a can. Well done. Well done, sir. There we go. All right. 
So as we do every episode, uh, we sit and uh, shoot the shit a little bit about what we've been uh, listening to and what we've been watching. So I'll uh, refer to uh, the ladies first. So uh, Miss Wendy, what have you been up to? Oh God, I've been dying to talk about Empire. Mm. I've been dying to talk about that show. That show embodies every single cliche that I love about music movies. Mm-hmm. You know, like everything, uh, like in the last episode, like, you know, there was a, there was a rap battle and there was a, a tender songwriting moment between father and son. And, you know, there's always like some sort of studio meltdown gets solved by a magical producer. There's always all those moments of, of things that I enjoy so much in these movies that we talk about. Only on a really cheesy, soapy hip hop show. I'm not, so, I've never, I've not, never even heard of this. What is no, this, Wendy? Explain. No. Empire. It's this show on Fox, and it stars Terrence Howard as this Ooh. like uh, this music mogul. He's essentially supposed to be like Jay Z or something, you know. And like he heads up this amazing, this multi million dollar record company. And his wife went to prison for seventeen years for taking the rap for him for dealing drugs. And so she's come out, and she wants to own the company. And, uh, so like Courtney Love, uh, is on the show as a washed up singer, you know. The hell you say. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's, it's great. It's like the biggest show in America right now. It's like one of those popular shows. And it's, it's just really, really enjoyable in that way that I love in all these movies that we talk about so much. So is it like, uh, I don't know, like Grey's Anatomy, but with hip hop or something? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Actually, it's like Dynasty, it's like Dynasty with hip hop. Oh and so, like, the one son is gay, and he has to deal with like homophobic rappers, and his dad hating that he's gay, and he has to deal with that. And like, his mom is trying to pit his music career against the younger son, who's like the stereotypical kind of Drake style, you know, mainstream hip hop guy. And so it's genius because, of course, they, you know, they, they sell all the songs immediately on iTunes. The executive producer is, is Timbaland. He does all the music. So, you know, so like they get to sell the songs immediately. And it's a lot smarter than Glee because Glee, they had to go through like, you know, they made a ton of money off of those soundtracks, but they always had to go through, you know, the rights of stuff. But having original music, it's like Nashville, I think, right. you know, mm. like I was going to say, it sounds kind of like a hip hop Nashville. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's, I think that's really, really shrewd. I think that's really smart for the music industry and for the TV industry, you know? I'm kind of surprised it's taken them this long to do something like this. You think about it, it's it's kind of a perfect fit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like, what is the span of time from the monkeys to, you know, something like this, you know? If if the monkeys came out today, you'd immediately be buying all those songs off of iTunes the next day. I think it kind of reminds me of, uh, a phenomena that's been going on with a lot of bands recently, uh, after, right after, uh, for example, I was thinking of the Pixies that came to mind, right, right after they'd, uh, finish a, a gig, they'd wind up selling recordings of an MP3 recording right off the board at the end of the show. So you, right. You, I remember. Yeah, you could just finish, like, you know, a lot of bands are doing that now to kind of combat, uh, you know, bootlegging and whatever. And it's just uh, immediately, as soon as it's finished, you know, you have access to, you know, parts of it. And I think that that's kind of an interesting concept, you know, for today's, you know, instant gratification uh, generation, you know. Yeah, there's a club here used to do that where you could immediately just buy the show you just saw. They just burn the CDs right there. I remember that. 
Right. So is that it, Wendy? Yeah, that's it. I just want to talk about how much I love Empire. It's a okay. ridiculous show. I'll have to check that's it out. <laughs> Bernie? Yeah, it sounds like something uh, Bernice might like, so uh, I think we'll wait for the, the Season 1 uh, DVD box set to come out and uh, <laughs> indulge in that one. Um, that's pretty good. I was going to say, totally- now that you mention it, Bernie, uh, I was going to I was gonna ask you guys, do you ever find that you, you really want to wait for a series to finish a season before you start to dig into it because I, I can't peck away at things. I, I'd rather want, I'd rather watch like five episodes in one chunk than really just watch a series episode by episode, you know? I'm quite happy to you see know, things the old fashioned, the old fashioned way and watch, uh, you know, I'll, I'll watch an episode tonight. I'll watch an episode, you know, next week or something like that, which is what used to drive Joanne crazy while we were going through the wire. She wanted to watch like three or four episodes in one hit and I was quite content to, just absorb, and, and like, cause those episodes were quite densely packed. There was so much in it. I didn't just want to let everything wash over me like three or four episodes. I right. preferred to just sort of concentrate it all on what I'd just seen. So no, I have to do, I have to do the, uh, the, the one episode. I'm, uh, one thing. I'm, I'm completely the opposite to that now, uh, Morris. When, uh, Bernice and I are into something, we'll wait for the box set and we'll literally do it in a weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, 20 episodes over three days or whatever. Good Lord. Um, I, I think, every, you know, TV has changed beyond all recognition. This is pretty much how it's consumed these days. Mm. People don't, you know, the, the weekly episode of something just, uh, I don't know, it just, uh, yeah, people just don't seem to do it anymore, except mm. for Morris, apparently. Well, <laughs> a lot of the writing... I'm an old sort of guy. Yeah. A lot of the writing uh, for a lot of the, the, the new series and things like that you know, they have storylines like, for example, The Wire that just drag out over an entire season. And they're so sharp that, you know, you really almost have to watch the next episode immediately yeah. to, to glean everything that's just happened in the last episode, you know. And it's like if you if you wait any time, then when they come back to it and they're referring to things that just happened, you know, you're kind of lost. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, so I think that, you know... They're, they're, it's almost, it's almost like they're, you know, like filming a, filming an eight hour film and just breaking it up into, into chunks, you know, I mean. So I'm sure, um, I'm sure Wendy will back me up here, but it's like, uh, this trend sort of is, is currently pretty big in comic books as well, where people trade write waiting, for the, the collected edition. They write yeah. for the trade as opposed to the, you know, the monthly issue. So, which yeah. is how it always traditionally was, but now yeah. it's, you know, six issues in one trade that's a big chunk of story which mm-hmm. you'll sit down and read straight away as opposed to waiting you know six months to get there i see so and it's a similar thing exactly how i think of it i think of it as trade waiting waiting for the box yeah set. yeah you totally know. yeah 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 it's like yeah trade mm-hmm. waiting for that whole story at once and i feel there are some shows like sitcoms and stuff like i can watch it every week and be entertained or whatever but shows like you said like the wire like, I, I, you need to watch it while it's all still fresh, you mm-hmm. know? Like, yeah. I need to watch things while I still remember what character's doing what, right. you know? So, exactly. Yeah. It's definitely an interesting, it's an interesting, uh, dynamic. Uh, and, and now Netflix, of course, just feeds that binging urge with releasing all those shows at once. Mm-hmm. Like, I watched all the, all the incredible, you know, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I watched that in two days, you know? So, yeah. Uh, changing times. Okay, changing Bernie. Times. What have you been, uh, <laughs> up to lately 
Um, well, you know, I've been uh, listening to some records and watching some films, but the uh, the standout thing for me since uh, we spoke last, and I'm a bit late to the game with this one, I'm sure you've probably already seen this months ago, but I saw uh, Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, Love that film. Which just, it mm-hmm. just kicked my ass. It is one of those films that, you know, you're lucky in a lifetime if you get seven or eight films which will just totally almost rewire your brain whilst you watch them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was just, um, it was amazing. It was, um, you know, words aren't really adequate to describe it. It is beautifully shot. It, the soundtrack is just stunningly good. The mm-hmm. performances are amazing. Um, and visually it's unlike anything I've seen before. And I, you know, I don't want to go into it too much in case there's, there's probably like two or three people out there who still haven't seen it. Me, me. Um, I urge you to check it out, Morris. It's, mm. It's phenomenal. I'd, uh, I guess uh, Wendy and Tim have seen it. What, what do you guys think? Did you, uh, do you, you rate know, it? I thought Scarlett Johansson was so, like, chillingly fantastic, and I loved it. Yeah. And I loved the, I, even, I loved the ending, too. Like, I just, and yeah. that's yes. not, yeah, yeah. Or, like, it just, I, I did, I resisted watching it, because people had said, like, oh, it's it's depressing. It's really depressing. You know, but it's it's just it's ethereal. I feel like it's, it's sort of an ethereal film. It reminded me some of the visuals reminded me of the work of people like Chris Cunningham and uh Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And it and it uh the whole film was phenomenal and I mean I just loved the kind of glacial glacial pace of it. Yeah. And you know yeah. and how horrifying it was <laughs> In, uh, aspects of, uh, no, glacial aspects of it, and just, you know, it was almost in some ways like watching a nature film, the way that a spider kind of, uh, seduces its prey, yeah. you know? And, uh. Well, that's, I mean, that, I think the most striking thing about it for me was how it made the mundane just seem completely alien. Right. Because, you know, you're kind of seeing everything through her eyes, and right. they do just such a fantastic job of sort of conveying that. Oh yeah. Um and you know you know they get all the details of life in uh in Scotland because you know right. it's not that far from where I am right now. No no. It's it's just the banal everyday stuff but it just mm-hmm. seems like something beamed in from another planet, you know. It's Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's just it's phenomenal. It's one of the, certainly one of the best films I've seen in the last year. But yeah. uh, And it's sci-fi it done properly. Sci-fi done properly. It is. Yeah, yeah. It is. Absolutely. It doesn't pander to the audience at all. It's it's kind of cerebral without being kind of too sort of arch or pretentious. Right. Um, yeah, just amazing, amazing film. Right. It's so funny to me how Scarlett Johansson, like her big movies last year, that and Lucy, and all I heard was just like constant, constant bitching by people about Lucy, and I didn't hear very much of anyone talking about Under the Skin, you know, outside of like our sort of movie yeah. group of people, you know, like everyone I know in real life is like, oh, Lucy, that movie's so stupid. Oh, it's like, did you see Under the Skin? No, what? You know, I, heard I feel that. like... Yeah. Right. And if you can't, if you can't her, she had a trilogy of, uh, of sci-fi last year, didn't she? Her was the year before, because remember it was up for the Oscar for the year oh, before? Oh, okay, because okay, we, we only got it, I think, here last... Uh, January, like January or something like that. So well, that's a good point. It's like, yeah, exactly. I like that movie too. Mm. So I I've, say, I've, I've got, um, I've got a lot of time for Scarlett Johansson. She seems to be really kind of smart with the roles that she uh, she chooses. It's, right. it's, it's and, funny know, with her because you know when Ghost World came out, everybody put all their money on uh, what was her name? Uh, Thora Birch. Yeah, because she just she just done um, she just American, done, uh, Beauty. American Beauty. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. His mother manager apparently was crazy. Right. Which her father, isn't it? Apparently he's oh, a was it? psycho. Apparently right. they weren't, didn't they used to be in porn or something like that? Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that was it. Yeah, it was one of her uh, one of her parents who's her manager yeah. a nut job, I remember. Hmm. Right. But as I understand it, they they pretty much killed her career because they're just complete nut jobs. Right. So right. I think I saw her in with some kind of made for T V movie, you know, some you know, true channel type or a Hallmark channel type movie, you know. So right. which is kinda of sad because I think she had promise. I think she was really good, but I guess that's what yeah. happens. Mr. Morris, what have you been up hey, to? Hey, hey. Uh, okay, so I'll mention a movie that I watched last night, and strangely enough, I, I think that this movie would have made a really good double feature with Quadrophenia. Um, it's from kind of 1960, 61, I'm not sure. Uh, Billy Liar, directed by John Schlesinger, was something which I, I vaguely recall there might have even been like a, a crap TV show spin-off of it years ago, but uh, this is the first time I'd actually watched the movie, and it was absolutely a masterpiece. I love this. I'd love to hear Terry Frost talk about this on Paleo Cinema if he hasn't already done so. Have, have you guys seen this one? No. So it's set in, um, I'm not sure what town, but you know, somewhere, as they keep mentioning, four hours away from London by train, and this um, this young guy, played by Tom Courtney, he uh, lives in you know, in his uh, parents' place, and everyone, all, all the women are pepper pots, and everyone's sticking their nose into everyone's business. And he just makes through his day by constantly lying. His name is Billy Fisher, but you know he gets the nickname Billy Liar because he's always you know, telling telling porky pies. And you know he's got a job that he hates, and uh, he just spends his whole day daydreaming about how he's the uh, president of uh, this country that's just won a nasty war. And everyone worships him and all the women are crazy about him and, and he just lives this rather dull life. So he just gets through the day by lying and he's engaged to three women, one of them being the, uh, the absolutely gorgeous, uh, Julie Christie. Uh, and he's just sort of trying to work out how he wants to change his life. And I mean, look, he, he the guy, he, he's a bit of a prick. Um, but you still sort of feel some, not exactly sympathy, but you can sort of see his, his plight being stuck in this dull town with, um, with uh, you know, parents who think that um, he owes them everything because it's like that line in Hard Day's Night, we won the war for your sort. I bet you're sorry you won. Um, I mean, that one's <laughs> not that's Hard Day's Night. But um, no, it was really, really, <laughs> mag- really magnificent film. And it sort of reminded me a little bit of Quadrophenia because, you know, you had the same sort of character with Jimmy the Mod desperately trying to get out of his situation and work out where he fit. And it's just, you know, like that document of, of uh, 1960s England, of course, but Billy Lyre told from within the time when it was all new and uh, Quadrophenia being told in retrospect. But I think it would make a really, really interesting double. Uh, and um, yeah, the, the uh, fantasy sequences were brought in so brilliantly. It's quite funny. Every time there's someone who's saying something to uh, to Billy that he doesn't like or he's getting a real headache, you see him imagine himself... Uh, in army uniform with a submachine gun mowing everyone down. And then uh, when he's finished, the reality is that they're still sort of blabbing away at him. It's, it's a really visual series of uh, brilliant visual moments. So uh, I'd really recommend that if um, uh, you haven't seen that. Uh, highly blackly comic. So, yeah, yeah, great film, Billy Liar. And the only other thing I want to mention is I got hold of um, a few Frames CDs this week. <laughs> 
I still haven't completed my frames collection, but as it might be known out there, I'm a big Glenn Hansard frames fan, and I know Glenn Hansard has a new uh, five-track EP coming out either this week or it might have just come out in the last week or so. So I'm hoping that uh, the frames make it back to Australia soon. I believe that there's a 25th anniversary of the frames. I can't believe it's been that long since they've been in existence. But yeah, I've got a couple of things. I've got a, a live album called Setlist and uh, another uh, a studio album called Burn the Maps. And I spent yesterday afternoon with uh, a good mate, uh, Tim Loudon, who was the guy who introduced me to the, uh, the music of the frames to begin with. And we just sat at you know his place in his home theatre and watched uh, a Frames live concert documentary film and uh, I was really digging onto that so um, yep check out the Frames if you haven't already done so if you want some uh, highly emotional music and Glenn Hansard sings like he was born to it like you know if, if he doesn't sing he'll He'll die. Um, I, I really admire his uh, his approach, and he seems like a, a genuinely funny guy and, and genuinely passionate about his music. So, there you go, um, Billy Liar in the Frames. That's my that's my uh, recommendations. Cool. All right. Well, I just want to throw in a couple of things here. Uh, last Monday night, I had the opportunity to uh, throw up the horns and go and see uh, Judas Priest. <laughs> Friends of mine were trying to get me out to this, and initially I had reservations, but, uh, you know, I went out, we all went out, and uh, I have to say, it was great. It was amazing, actually, and uh, there's things that kind of strike me funny, is that, you know, seeing bands play in foreign countries, you know, you, you get so used to everybody saying all day how... They can't speak English, and that you know their English is not so great, and they don't understand, and yada yada yada. But as soon as a metal band comes on, everybody just sings word for word. It was it was it was like 95% of the show was basically being you know reiterated back to the band by the audience. It was insane. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, was the uh, that was the universal language, isn't it? Of course, oh, it's all absolutely. barriers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. Uh, I was blown away actually because the last time Priest played in Seoul, they played in the giant, you know, uh, gymnasium arena, part of uh, Olympic Stadium. But this time it was actually a smaller theater, so it was packed. Like it, there was loads of people. But uh, Rob Halford, you gotta hand it to that guy for you know being 50 plus years. I mean, um, he still has range. Oh, I mean, he, they didn't he, have he, like he, on a bunch of stuff. He still, he still got it. Oh yeah, I mean he doesn't use any toys, he doesn't use any delays or anything like that. I mean he's he's singing, he he's he's putting it out there, you know. And um, what really got me was that you know, I mean as as bands go on, of course they put out new material, new albums and stuff like that. But you know I really wasn't you know keen on that because you know I'm, I'm not following them with the latest album. But I mean it was good, but 
but you know, but then they started pulling out the heavy, uh, you know, they pulled pull out the heavy machinery. They started pulling out hell bent for leather, and you know, the electric eye, and like it, it was just amazing seeing these guys. Just even though you know everybody wishes they were in a band, but when you see the reality of being in a band, it's almost like assembly line, or it can be. You know, where you're just doing the same shit again and again and again and again. And I mean, to keep that fresh and to keep that, you know, you know, you, you want your audience to think that, look, we don't fucking care about, you know, the, the city we played in last night. We don't fucking care about the city we will play in tomorrow night. Right now is what we're all about, you know. And they had that in the pocket. I mean, like, they were really, really looking at everybody like, this is the moment. Let, let's do this shit, you know, and, I was really, I was really impressed. And, and I mean, there was a, they've got a younger guitar player now, Richie Faulkner, who, uh, replaced, um, I'm trying to think of his name, I forget, but, uh, but he's really added another element to Priest that it were, that was really, really fantastic. I mean, and the sound in that place was pristine. I mean, it, you know, Axe Hall, it was, it was fantastic. You know? But anyway, um, the other thing I wanted to add was, um, two releases that have just come out, um, Two of my, you know, one nice thing that always happens is when you have a favorite band that kind of drops off the radar for whatever reason and they wind up having to come back for their own, uh, initiatives or whatever, their own, their own specific, uh, reasons and, uh, you really have to. I totally know where you're going with this, Tim. Well, where am I going, Bernie? Well, yeah, I I don't want to steal your thunder. Go on. No, no. I was going to say there's two bands, uh, recently, two of my favorite bands from the 90s that have just put out two phenomenal releases. And that's uh, basically the, the Cherubs from Austin, Texas, and Blind Idiot God from New York. And two of these, you know, both of them are, are more uh, noise-oriented bands, but uh, there's method behind their uh, their mayhem. I mean, like, you know, both of them are, are phenomenal, phenomenal bands in doing what they do. But it's, you know, it's an acquired taste. But it's a taste that, uh, I, I've been missing, you know? It, it's a, it tastes it, worth it, acquiring as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. But it's yeah. like, it's like them stop, you know, it's like they stop making your favorite chocolate bar and all of a sudden 25 years later, they start producing it again and you're just like, oh yeah. Oh man, I've been missing this, you know? And it's just, it's just so nice to, and what's amazing is that you figure after so many years, that, you know, everyone's kind of given up the game or, you know, they're just, they want to do something different or, you know, it, it's not going to be what it was. And, you know, you're kind of have all this trepidation, but then you start to listen to it and you go, holy shit, man. It's like 20 years never even happened. It's like, it's like these bands kind of just pick up right where they left off. And even more intensely now, because it's like, you know, we don't have that time to waste. We don't have that time to kind of, experiment or be indulgent or whatever it's just like you know fuck it let's get on with it you know and both of these albums are just phenomenal the last two albums i mean the the recent albums from uh the cherubs to infinity and uh the new blind idiot god album and i mean blind idiot god is an interesting band too because you know they're a trio and half the time they play these like weird um abstract almost like Mahavishnu Orchestra like you know open end jams and then on the other end they, they just play this really really heavy intense like Adrian Sherwood dub reggae but it's almost like this monolithic like you know 
uh, brain-busting, heavy, heavy, heavy dub. And I, I love all of it. It's, it's just phenomenal. So with that being said, uh, let's roll on with the, our review. So we're going to take a break here, folks, and in a minute we're going to get down on the farm with Ross Knight and the Cosmic Psychos, blokes you can trust. Thank you for listening to See Here. We'll be back to you in a minute. If you like westerns, comedies, foreign films, horror movies, action adventure, and classic cinema, well, we don't have much of that, but if you like ass, titties, farting, burping, puffy nipples, poop, taboo porn, muffin tops, comic books, wrestling, mustaches, pie smashed on butts, cheese, taking baths, butt sex, gagging, milk, and the American flag, check out the Silva and Gold Podcast. We're the morons your mom warned you about while she was sitting on your face. Silva and Gold. We talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silvaandgold.com. All-time top ten. Top ten cheesy love songs. This song showcases everything that is awesome about Journey. Bombastic, tailor-made for the arena. Everyone's got their lighter out. Steve Perry's got his beautiful mane of hair, and he's singing about being on the road. Top 10 Rock Trios. Dinosaur Jr., Jay Maskus, and Lou Barlow, and drummer Murph. The loudest band I've ever yeah. seen, by the way. Top 10 Songs About the Devil. My number eight is not the greatest song in the world. <laughs> it's just a tribute. Um, this is Tenacious D. Top 10 breakup songs. What's your number four? I gotta do um, the replacements answering machine. Nice. Not only is it about the distance, he's using the distance as a metaphor, you know, sort of like where it's like the, the relationship's gotten to a point where he's trying to connect with somebody and the extent of the communication is leaving a message on your machine. Top 10 rock wordsmiths. Randy Newman. In a lot of his songs, he plays like a narrator, but the narrator in these songs tells stories, but the narrator doesn't always tell the truth or he has kind of a skewed version of the story he's telling that's a human foible that's what we tend to do top 10 sports anthem little ditty called jump around yes no, easily I- like 20 to 30 thousand students jumping up and down at the same time it is awesome number 10 with your host ben eisen all-time top 10 Cosmic Psychos and we're three male models. This is called Decadence. Welcome back to see here today uh, we're gonna sit down and talk about a little doco about three yabos thunder from down under the cosmic psychos well technically it's more than three isn't it Tim oh yeah but I mean I I just uh, was considering just the dynamic of the band right right but you're right it is more than three and uh, the story will uh, lay out the whole history of the band and and for anyone uh, who's not familiar with the Cosmic Psychos, have any of you three uh, heard of the band before you caught the film? Oh, look, I, 
I was embarrassed to say I'd never actually sort of like listened to them that much over the years, but you know, they're in my hometown. It was and in the underground scene or the alternative scene or whatever you want to call it, they were, you know, very, very well known. I'd seen the albums around and I'd seen gig listings uh, at the uh, Tote Hotel in Collingwood here in Melbourne where they played and um, they were, you know, absolutely I had heard of them and even heard a little bit of the music but sort of hadn't really absorbed myself into their music until we were going to uh, actually watch the film right I had heard of them like the way you hear a flipper or or you know Daniel Johnson like you hear them through like Nirvana had worn their shirts or so you know like that's how I had heard right, of them tangentially as an influence exactly as an influence on some other band right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah Burn? I'd um Considering uh, my musical uh, tastes, you'd think they'd be a band that I'd be really into, and I've always been aware of them, but I've got to be honest, I've never really listened to them. I've got tons of records on, like, Sub Pop and Amrep, but Cosmic Psychos were uh, aren't in my collection for whatever reason. So uh, I'm kind of a little embarrassed, really, being a, uh, you know, a grown-up grunge kid. I, you know, I should know this stuff, so... No, there's nothing wrong with that, man. Well, I'll, actually, I'll, I'll say, I was just going to say one thing. So one thing that um, uh, watching this film, or coming out of watching this film and sort of like, you know, going to listen to their music led me down some rabbit holes. And um, the other band, or one of the other bands that uh, were sort of like, you know, fellow travellers with the Cosmic Psychos uh, in a local sense were um, another another uh, trio called the Hardons. And right. I, I've discovered that I'm in love with their music because there's something more of the uh, the power pop edge there's something of the the melody there as well as a sort of punky side of things so um, right. I'm, I'm, I'm so great Morris, for having done this for now becoming a Morris, fan of the hardest. yes yes are you saying that you're in love with hard-ons <laughs> <laughs> your, your silence speaks volumes young man <laughs> well Ray, Ray, Rayon is actually part part of the film Yes, he is, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about my previous experience with the Cosmic Psychos. Is, uh, Morris knows uh, very well like, that I have an affinity for Australian music, and I have had for a long, long time. Oh, yeah. And back, back in the day before the Internet, a lot of times, you know, people would, you know, f- with fanzines, people used to, uh, you'd, you'd pick up fanzines at uh, record shows and uh, or record stores. And that was one of the ways that, you know, you got information on how to trade with other people or, or find out, you know, about music from other places. So, luckily enough, uh, I picked up a compilation of old Australian punk with, you know, the Saints and, you know, the Birdmen and all of it, and the scientists. So, I wrote a, a letter to the guy that put out this compilation with the record company. So we started trading back and forth, just, you know, all kind of, he was interested in Canadian punk and old school uh, Canadian music. So, you know, he'd send me a 90-minute cassette, and I'd send him a 90-minute cassette, and we'd just load him up with, you know, a lot of stuff like Triple J and all kinds of old uh, obscure singles and things like that. And one one summer, he sent me this uh, live recording of the Cosmic Psychos, and it was actually released as an album, and it's called Slave to the Crave. And I'm listening to this thing, and it sounds like it sounds like they're playing with machinery. And I'm listening to it, and it sounds like, you know, those little Japanese motorcycles. That, 
you know, like it just sounds like you know everything's just sounds so muddy, and it just sounds like you know Ross is playing a chainsaw because it's just so fuzzed out that I, I, you know, and I thought maybe man, this recording is shit, right? Like, or what the hell, you know? But then I couldn't stop listening to it, and it, it, it was just it just hit me between the eyes, you know, like just like a sledgehammer, and it's just that simple Ramones lean and mean like you know there's no frills there's no you know no gimmick it's just it's just one two three four boom you know lay you flat out on your ass and what i you know and i was addicted right from the get-go and the thing that's interesting to me is that you know i start singing singing along with half of these songs and all of a sudden it's like they're not singing about governments they're not singing about you know you know, we're getting screwed over by the man. They're they're singing about drinking beer and beating off in the hay shed and driving their tractors. You know. not going to hear these guys you know do blowing in the wind unless it's a beer fart you know <laughs> i mean you're the, the the cosmic psychos are a kind of band that uh they're very they're they're a contradiction in so many ways because when you see these guys and when you hear them you initially think they're a bunch of fucking yabos and yabos are like you see you know like uh chavs like you would say bernie and, no, uh, we say your bows as well. They're just okay, kind of okay, uh, okay. Yeah, but they're just you know drinking and making trouble. Yeah, right. You would assume that Are you know the cosmic white trash in right white trash in America. You would assume that these guys are just a bunch of you know lugans. Out, we call them in Canada lugans, hooligans, losers, lugans, and uh, you know that these guys were just you know the lowest common denominator. But then you get to see this documentary and it tells a very very different story. Absolutely, and it's you know, and it's a it's a very um, contradiction that I find so interesting, and you know, but I think you know, I loved these guys before I saw this film, and truth be told, after the film, I love them even more now because it it just it just sticks to me like shit to a baby's diaper. I mean, like you know, their music to me, it's just like. I mean, everybody always says, oh, yeah, that band's in my top five, that band's in my top five. But in all honesty, you know, I never get tired of listening to the Cosmic Psychos. And every time I listen to them, you know, it's so funny because every word that comes out of Ross Knight's mouth, you know, no matter what the song is, all I hear is, drink beer, drink beer, drink beer, drink beer, drink beer. Like, that's it, you know? I, I think that what can be said about the tone of this film is done within the first minute to a minute and a half and it's even a line that's i think in the trailer for the film and you know as we're seeing you know, footage of the band playing and wrecking their instruments and just generally going wild you see ross knight 
say, um, you know, we're, I can't believe, you know, here we are, three guys, and we're playing all this music, and we're going all around the world, meeting all these great people, and meanwhile, the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I'm just a fucking farmer. And right. that pretty much <laughs> sets the tone for the whole film. It's this... Um, the film works in contrasts. We get to see, you know, the hedonistic lifestyle, you know, the, the drinking of the beer, uh, the, the going out on the road and all the hijinks that ensue on, on the road. And then there's the moments where, um, like, you know, Ross feels, or we'll probably get into this more, a little bit more later, where Ross feels completely despondent over things that Bill Walsh may or may not have done. When um, we find out about his uh, about his children, his love for his children, and and the thing that he does on the side with uh, lifting weights, and he enters a weightlifting competition, right. you know, he's, right. he's got all these, he's got all these other sides to him, and there's there's tragic stuff, and and there's the the fun sort of stuff, and and it's just something in, about about Ross Knight's attitude. And it must be said that even though this film does cover stuff about the band, it is really in a way the Ross Knight show. Right. Uh, uh, Ross says early on in the film, like I think once again in the first five minutes, you know, you're seeing the farm that he grew up on and that he lives in, and he's telling very briefly the story about you know how he's in an acrimonious divorce settlement and he may lose the farm. And this is in the first five minutes, just setting up the tone. What I like about the film is they throw in that stuff like that here and there but the the, the divorce the wife's nev- name never gets mentioned she never gets slagged on it's just oh this is just another part of my life and it, it the film focuses more on the joy that is the cosmic psychos and right. rather, and doesn't focus so much on the negative side and it really it, it, it shows okay this is general life but it is by and large i think it's a really joyous celebration of who they are rather sure. than showing the the despondent side sure and Bernie, what did you uh, think of the film? Well, the first thing that really struck me about them as a band is kind of how far ahead of the curve they were um, and mm-hmm. how influential they were on the whole, uh, you know, early 90s sort of alt-rock in general. I mean, you know, you used the term grunge and mentioned Seattle and so on, and, you know, they were obviously a big part of that. They were embraced right. by that community. Well, I actually I, believe I a- that their lo-fi, their lo-fi sound was really what made Seattle. I really believe that, honestly. Well, I think I, that's the thing, was watching this, it's, it's uncanny how, you know, their stuff they were doing in the early to mid-80s mm-hmm. sounds exactly like what was coming out of Seattle in the early 90s. I mean, but that's oh, what yeah. Butch Vig goes and says, you know, he, he says, I'm, there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, they were the, the, the creators of that sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I, I would agree with uh, Morris that it's the uh, it's the Ross Knight show, really. But he's, he's such a charismatic, uh, sort of lovable, drunken bloke. Bloke's the perfect word for him, isn't it? I guess. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that to me, the symbol in the film is that is you know the bulldozer, Ross's tractor. Yep. And and to me, that's Ross because he's the bulldozer, the guy that just pushes right through. And through the whole film, everything changes except Ross. And so yeah. I think that I think that that's the he's he is a bulldozer in himself. He just keeps going on and trudge, putting his head down and just trudging through all of it. You know, mm. through all Climbing through everything. Yeah. Right, 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 right. So I mean, and that's what I love about the guys. He's just like, yeah, it's just a thing. Ah, fuck it. Hey, keep going. Carry on. You know, I think so we Miss could Wendy- all learn a little bit from his uh, his attitude. You know. Oh, exactly, absolutely. And Miss Wendy, what do you think about this uh, documentary? 
you don't want to ask me. <laughs> I just thought it was like a bunch of, uh, you know, it was just a, it just, it just seemed like a bunch of drunk road stories just thrown together about a band I didn't really care about. All right, you think they were, um, I, I think you could say the Cosmic Psychos are kind of like the, you know, it's called blokes you can trust. They're like the ultimate male band. You could smell the testosterone just turning the TV on, you know. Oh shit, man! Did, it's like Charles Bronson with a guitar. Or, yeah, totally. Was that something yeah, that put I you off, like Wendy, or was it just that they weren't your cup of tea kind of thing? Well, they weren't my cup of tea, but I felt like you could just slap together a bunch of crazy drunk road stories about like any band. I felt like this could have been about like any punk band. I just didn't feel any any magical connection to it. You know, I mean, I liked. I like the stuff about, you know, the weightlifting and when you talk about his relationship with his son. Like, I like that stuff, you know? And I liked uh, the whole S&M story with, with his ex-girlfriend. Like, I thought that was really entertaining. But for the rest, it was like, oh, and then we went in the studio, we drank a whole lot of beer. Oh, isn't that crazy? We went and we did, you know, dumb dude things and drank more beer. Oh, you know, we stuck things up our asses and drank beer. And yeah, no. It wasn't, it didn't have a narrative to me. It didn't have any sort of, like overarching reason for me to care about them mm. is that a, a uh, is that a thing about music documentaries these days anyway because you know there's so many of them now about pretty much every band you can think yeah, of yeah usually there's and some it's... sort of like pivotal moment or some sort of pivotal thing you know it's I don't know I felt like it was very meandering so it's, are you, I was just going to say Wendy are you uh, not a fan of The Kids Are Alright I have actually seen The Kids Are Alright <laughs> Or I did when I was young. I don't know. I don't. I don't remember having. I have a really, really hard, strong, recent opinion about that movie. How's that? Ah, damn! I was hoping to corny you on that one because there's no narrative in that, and yet you still sort of get a feel for who for who were. Um, and, yeah. And, and, well, also that's a really, really early. Doc, you know, like, like that's yeah. That's not like part of this really super recent stream of documentaries. You know, but. See, what I think is kind of funny about, like you're saying, Wendy, it just seems like a bunch of guys in a studio drinking beer and goofiness ensues and everything. But what I think is kind of funny is, you know, there there are, you know, there is a narrative there and there are things, you know, high points throughout the film to me is through, like I say, through all the, the lows. Like it shows the highs, it shows the debauchery, it shows, you know, them getting off the chain. But then it shows, you know, where, you know, things fall in so many different ways. I mean, you know, with the loss of, uh, well, let, we should we should primarily say that initially, like, the, the Cosmic Psychos were like, you know, Peter Jones, who was uh, Ross, Steve Marr, and then it, be, it got down to, uh, you know, Peter Jones, Bill Walsh, Ross, and then it was the, the primary trio was, you know, Robbie Watts, Bill Walsh and Ross and the thing was like I said so many things changed but the one thing that didn't change was Ross and what's really funny to me is like you say you know it's it's just a bunch of guys sitting around drinking beer they were kind of the progenitors they were the guys that taught everybody else I mean you know they, they go to America and you know you've got guys like Matt Lucan from Mud Honey and Mark Arm from Mud Honey you know Eddie Vedder these guys and they're just going Hey man, we we were the guys everyone wanted to party with, and we wanted to party with these guys, and they buried us. 
it's like holy shit you know like if Matt Lukin couldn't keep up with them then uh, you know no one's right. got a fucking chance and they? it is certainly <laughs> a highlight to see Eddie Eddie Vedder strolling around with a, a, you know a 50 cent piece between his ass cheeks and breaking <laughs> oh dude no, Wendy the, the high point is Matt Lukin in his little kind of like tiger skin briefs that he's wearing yeah, yeah. doing the same thing that was unbelievable you know there, there, there were moments to look away at that point there were moments in that Jeez. film like with the 50 cent piece game and also another bit that we're bound to bring up very shortly that made oh, me yeah. think that we needed to have this film discussed as a see here trashy trio hybrid show <laughs> Sure, absolutely. And you know what? I was going to say that if we ever, if all four of us ever really get together, you know, in one time, one place, you know that we have to play the 50 cent piece game. You know, we, we've, we've got to pull it up. We, we've got to do it. Wendy, I, I, I expect a lot from you. I'm in. No. I'm in. I will win it. I will win it. <laughs> but, Dude, you I'm know, benching you, as we speak. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm training. I'm in training as we speak. Right. And to those to those not in the know, the 50 cent piece game is this, this game where you take an Australian 50 cent piece and you wedge it in the crack of your arse and you waddle up to a pint glass. And the object is to drop the 50-cent piece into the pint glass without touching it with your hands. Now, what I thought was really funny about that whole segment was the fact that, uh, you know, Matt Lucan pulls out this coin and he says, does this look familiar? And Eddie Vedder pulls it right out of his pocket and he says, hey, man, you mean this? And he goes, what, did, you, did you bring it for the film? And he goes, no, man, he says, you know, this is permanently in my pocket, you know. This is the playing ball, man. Like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go, you know. So, I mean, it, it's like a lesson well learned, you know. I mean, they got, they got schooled early on and, man, it's just they, they carry it on, you know, which, which I think is amazing, you know. Now, Morris, how heavy are your 50-cent pieces that it could break a glass? They are big. They are big. They're, like, octagonal. It's not like a round shape, or someone's probably going to sort of call in or write in and say, no, 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 it's six-sided. I don't remember. It's either six-sided or eight-sided. I'm, I'm very embarrassed because, but, you know, you don't tend to pay that much attention. But, yeah, they're, they're big, heavy, nasty pieces of work. And, uh right. Yeah, so, yeah, they can they can do damage. Right. And, you know, I wanted to say, too, that, you know, these guys were an anomaly because at, at, at one point, you know, Lucan says, you know, they could sit there and drink, like, six, seven cases of beer and wake up the next morning and say, hey, let's do it again. And everybody's like, I can't do that again, you know. But there was times, like, I knew bands that actually played with the Psychos, and I'd seen them once with Bill Walsh. I'd seen them in Detroit, and that was amazing. And, uh... The funny thing was, I knew bands that toured with them, and they would say that, you know, they'd sit there and they'd just get, like, right ripped until 3 a.m. And next day, you know, they'd knock on the hotel room door of the other band, and the band's like, you know, it's 10 10 a.m., and they're like, oh, what? They're like, hey, we're going to go play badminton. You want to go play badminton? (laughs) And they're like, we're fucking dead, man. We just got to bed, like, 20 minutes ago. Like, Jesus Christ. Oh, we're going to go have a feed, and then we're going to go play badminton. Come on, get up and go play badminton with us. You know? And everybody's just it's like, that, uh, they're in here. that Australian constitution, you know. I'm sure Morris will vouch for this. But oh, yes. Yeah, how I spend every weekend, yeah. Right. Say, beer is a food group in Australia, isn't it? I believe. It is. It is. Oh, we, have, we show it on the, on the uh, food pyramid, on the uh, health chain to uh, yeah, kids in, in yeah. Uh, grade one. Yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs>
Wendy, I have a question for you. Yes. Because you're you're such a comic book aficionado. If Ross Knight was going to be a comic book character, who do you think he would be? Oh gosh, who would Ross Knight be? Oh. I'm trying to think of somebody who's uh, all right. Morris, you, not Morris. You, wait, Bernie, you gotta play with me here. So maybe, uh, maybe the some... oh, I don't know, like an alcoholic version of the Thing or something. Maybe. That's what I was going to say. He's like the <laughs> Thing, man. Yeah, he's, yeah. it's clobbering time, man. Super I'm thinking, uh, was it? Um, Strong guy from X Force as well. Yeah. Or X Factor, sorry, not X Force, X Factor. Strong guy. Right. No, I would say the thing. Yeah, he's like a cross between Deadpool and the thing. He's a smart ass. Yeah, that'll work. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) Right. Kill him. And he's huge. Right. Right. Drinks. Well, you know, that's the thing that blows my mind is that when you see this guy, and Morris, you you kind of hinted on it earlier about, you know, his. uh, his other proclivities, I mean, like Ross, you know, playing cricket, yeah, playing cricket, playing rugby, you mm. know, all the all the sports, and and then you know he decides that you know almost fifty years old that he's going to get into powerlifting, and he wins all these awards that that are you know absolutely incredible, and when you see this guy playing live, and he's like 51, 52 years old with like washboard abs, it's like what the hell, man. It's, it, it's just unbelievable, you know. But what's I lo- really t- I love that I love that scene fairly late in the film where you actually the the, the uh, director who we haven't mentioned I think his name is Matt Weston. Um, you know they're just sort of following him around, and they make the, like some little country town where they they're doing like a, a heat of of the, this weightlifting competition, and he just sort of comes in and everything that you'd seen before. I don't remember what the previous scene had been before, but it probably had been. You know, something about, I don't know, getting drunk and and, uh, and getting late. And then the next scene, he's um, making his way to this weightlifting competition and he bends down to give a kiss to his little boy and, and uh, you hear the announcer saying, and the next contestant is uh, Ross Knight. Now, I believe he's in a heavy metal band. I don't know the first bloody thing about that, but uh, let's see what he can lift. Right. <laughs> it's just, it, it was just... As I said, you know, at the start of the discussion, I love those little insights, those little things that sort of show that you know they're three-dimensional. The 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 people there, they're real people. And 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 there's an interview with um, with the band when they're at uh, radio station in Melbourne, three triple R. Yeah. And they say, oh, you're so you're doing a bit of a regional tour of Victoria, playing so many nights here or so many nights at the Tote Hotel. And uh, you know, Ross says, oh, I've got to be. Uh, I'm, I'm driving home every night. He lives like in a town in central Victoria, and and uh, so why are you driving home every night? It'd be a long drive. So oh, who's going to get my kids to to uh, swimming lessons first thing in the morning? You know, it's not going to happen right. by itself. I mean, okay, so there is this image. Yes, they they do bear their asses and they do sing songs about getting drunk and they do sing songs about domestic violence and eating hamburgers with beetroot. But really, but that's that's just a side. I mean, like it seems like it's all being you know, a lot of it's being done for a laugh. There's this um, the thing at the beginning of the film where Ross is still trying to decide, do I want to be part of this? I don't know. Where the band they go, they go off to Europe, and he says, oh no no, I've got to stay back because you know I've got to I've got to use the tractor. I've got to you know do some stuff on the land, or or the band I, I left the band for seven months because they wanted to rehearse every weekend, and I just wanted to go out and play cricket and rugby. So so um, it's, no, I just find the whole thing interesting. There's a real touching, I mean, you know, like what what you were saying, Wendy, about, you know, they just a bunch of guys getting drunk and playing music. I mean, if it was just that, 
then I would say, yeah, that it, you know, it's not very interesting and very derivative. But then there's, you know, like Morris had just, you know, hinted at is that there's the aspects of these these people that are real, that they're real people. I mean, to me, what was really touching is is Ross's initial uh, reasoning for becoming a power lifter is, you know, when he's talking yes, about... Yes, yeah, that was, that was a great moment, yeah. He, when he's talking about his boy who has cerebral palsy and how he's getting older and his boy's getting bigger and he just wants to be able to pick up his boy and, you know, that that really hit me, you know what I mean? And one thing that that really is, you know, I wondered about before I'd even seen the documentary was how they were going to deal with the death of Robbie Watts because uh, it was it was hard. I mean, like when when you know when he passed, and I read that, and it was just like, oh man, that was something else. And and, and I mean, they 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 don't make any bones about it. Ross says, well, he he came right out and said to us, this is what he does and what he likes to do and what he gets enjoyment from, and you know, that's that's that. And I mean, but then you know, they also tried to be responsible with him, and they said, you know, like whenever he'd want to go back to the hotel, we'd have somebody go back with him, or wherever he wanted to go off somewhere, we'd have somebody go with him, you know, and like you know, they, they but they weren't gonna, you know, dissuade him, but at the same time. You know, it, they were trying to look out for their mate, you know. And you can tell that Ross is, you know, that was another blow, a huge blow. That, that's one thing that kind of makes me loaf up is, you know, just the ending when he's sitting there with Robbie, you know, and he's pouring that beer, says, this is where his mouth should be, and that was his brew. And, uh, you right. know, that's, that's, that's a real hard thing to watch, man, you know. And, Pretty touching mm-hmm. moment, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. And also uh, a guy like, uh, you know, someone like Ross Knight, who is, uh, you know, your archetypal male, actually showing a bit of emotion, showing uh, showing the chinks in his armor, you know, and showing that he uh, he misses his friend, you know? It oh, was, yeah. Yeah, it really was. Uh, that was heartbreaking, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, and that's just it, is that, you know, it's, it, it's not that... Ross was, you know, putting on a show and about his masculinity, or it's all—it's all just part of a ruse. It's just one aspect of who the guy is. I mean, like, and and, and you know, I mean, he's a multifaceted person, just like any of us are, you know. And, well, uh, the the thing that I think the the film does really well, certainly in terms of Ross, maybe not so much in part of the others, uh, in in respect to the others, but it, it shows that he's not defined by the band. It's just part of who he is and what he does. Right. right. You know, a right. lot of people in bands, I just, you know, it's it's their life and it's what they want to do and it's who they think they are and it's how they define themselves. It's how they interact with the world. Uh, and right. this is just like an, another facet of Ross and his life. You know, it's just something sure. he does. And sure. I, I think it does a great um, a great job of kind of showing that, you know. Right. And I mean, not to not to get into too many of the details out of respect, but uh, you know, then you get into the falling out um, with Ross and Bill Walsh, where Lee was the one who uh, had taken care of all the bookkeeping for the band, and he had had all the rights to a lot of their music, and then he wound up opening up this bar, the Cherry Club, apparently, and uh, well, he he did open the bar, but apparently there was uh, some type of uh, conflict between uh, the band and Bill in terms of uh, finances let's 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 just say that there was uh, there was some insinuations of skimming a lot of skimming and uh, you know Bill was out of the band he left and I mean how did you uh, guys 
how did you guys feel about Bill in the film when you get to that point? Because I, I didn't know the story, and you get there and you find out what happened and how he sort of left the band, and it doesn't seem like it was particularly amicable or anything. Well, there, 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 there are two songs that um, that Ross oh, the, the, the right. cover of the freaking album, yeah. I related quite a bit to the idea of the aging band where nobody can make it to band practice and where everybody's schedules are messed up. And let's just say I, I really related to that part. <laughs> 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 it's like, why are we going on when so-and-so can't make it to practice and we can't do this? We had to cancel all these things, you know. Uh, yeah, right. that's the thing that happens when you're aging and you're playing music, you know. <laughs> Right. Right. I, 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 how did you guys feel about uh, how Bill was kind of represented in the film? Because he obviously seemed quite happy to talk about it. I was just going to say that I think Matt Weston has done a really good job of sort of saying to the audience, look, you know, you make up your own mind. This is what yeah. Boss has to say. This is what Bill has to say. And they don't sort of go on and lay it on thick like it could have been done on some... Uh, crappy current affairs TV show about you know a band member betrayed his mates or something right. terrible like that. It's it really is a case of well you know this is what uh, Ross says, this is what Bill says. Bill denies it. Uh, Ross accuses him of it, and uh, right. that's it, you know it because I, I hadn't you know because I wasn't following the band back in you know back in the day, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, it's still not musically my cup of tea, but I really find the whole story fascinating but maybe if I'd been following what had gone on at the time I might have read more in the paper uh, or in the local music press to sort of you know find out a, a little bit more about what had happened but um, no, I, I think Matt Weston does a fair job of representing um, both sides of the argument and there's it's nothing emotive it's just here's the story move on but I think it's really funny too is like I love the bit where Ross is like yeah, I wrote a song called Kill Bill. It's about how I love those movies, you know, and cutting somebody's head off, you know. Yeah, you know, it's it's all about the movie, right? 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 You know, it's, it's nothing, you know. It's it's nothing about Bill Walsh. Oh, 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 no, you know. It's like, yeah, okay. And like you said too, you know, it's like I can go and punch somebody in the nose, man. But a song that says "fuck you" lasts forever. <laughs> like, I will say, music, even... musically as well. I think. Um, that uh, Dean Muller, who was the yeah. replacement drummer for Bill Walsh, far tighter. Uh, I mean, oh yeah, oh yeah, he was yes. a much yeah. better drummer, better wasn't drummer. He? Yeah, right. Yeah, and you know, actually, he he actually played with uh, the band that you liked, uh, Morris Chicken Walk, uh, Chris. Uh... Yes, yes. I, I look. You know what? The the lineup of Chicken Walk's only two of them, but um, uh, they they have a, a drummer. Dave, oh, I can't remember his surname, but a guy who I'd seen around the traps playing a couple of other blues bands, and I'd known that he wasn't the um, original drummer of Chicken Walk, and I was always curious as to who it was, so I was um, fascinated to find out that he was uh, uh, you know, a part of the original uh, lineup of um, right. Chris Russell's Chicken Walk, yeah. And, and I like the fact that Dean, as he comes into the fold, he's kind of saying initially, he says, no, I didn't like these guys, man. I thought these guys were a bunch of thugs and hooligans, man. These are the kind of guys who would rob you on the train. Like, holy shit, yeah, you yeah. know? <laughs> What's he called? Bogans. Right, yeah. Bogans, yeah. But then he comes yeah. he comes into the fold. And then we, we've got to talk about Maka, who's, you know, Maka's another, you know, anomaly. Because here here's this guy 
you see him on stage with no shirt on and a giant mass of beer gut, and you would think you would expect to see this guy living in a trailer, living off of welfare on the dole or whatever, and it turns out, you know, he's a barrister. <laughs> That's right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I mean, you know, it's, it's just another multifaceted aspect of who they are, you know? But the thing, the thing that I really get from all of this film, to me, is that, you know, these are the kind of guys that are like your fucking mates. These guys aren't rock stars in any stretch of the imagination at all. And they never, they never assume to be. I mean, like, Walsh, Walsh does it a little bit, where he's just like, oh yeah, you know, when they talk about the prodigy, you know, little, the little bit where he said, you know, we, we wrote a song that the prodigy covered, he does that. But uh, the rest of them are just like, we're, we're just fucking mates, you know? But, you know, these guys are just like your fucking mates. And I mean, Ross even, like, they do shows on Ross's farm where they have barbecues out there. And everybody just gets together like a picnic. They, now they bring their kids and everybody brings a beer. And they sit out and they set up a stage and they play around the farm, you know? And, I, I, you know, and this is it. I mean, like, these aren't the kind of people that are standoffish or... These aren't the kind of guys that are, you know, uh, wrapped up in their own shite. I mean, Ross is just like, you know, I'm just, like, I'm just a fucking farmer, you know? say that you know these guys are just like salt of the earth dudes i mean like you know and that's that's what makes them so endearing to me is that you know it, it's just it's so funny i mean you know the end of the film where you know ross is talking about his parent teacher meeting you know <laughs> and it's just hilarious how you know he's on stage singing a song about david lee roth and 40 girls you know and and then all of a sudden he starts talking about, yeah, and my son Gage at school, he's got a parent-teacher, they say he swears at school. Oh, jeez, what am I going to do about that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> he's being a naughty one. Where does he get that from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, they're just regular dudes, you know, doing regular things. Aside from Melvin's concerts, uh, what would you think about that, Wendy? <laughs> you know, sorry. Proposal <laughs> to to Van Dam would have um, would have been pushed aside after seeing that moment with with uh, Ross Knight. Yeah. And, and Bernie, as we've been discussing off air, I want to know what Sylvester Stallone thinks about that. Do you, do you reckon like he'd be so? Hey, he worked out with weights in my basement. Yeah. He'd probably uh, singing. I got sperm that jingle jangle jingles. <laughs> I'll reach out to Sly. I'll see if I can get him to uh, to comment on the next episode, perhaps. Right. But I'm sure he'd, he'd certainly enjoy uh, that part of the film. Yes. Now, um, yeah. One question I have yeah. for all of you is, you know, as as all three of you had said, you weren't really initiated with the Cosmic Psychos before the film. But as a as a standalone documentary, would you think it would really grab people's interest for people that really didn't have any any 
have previous history with the band or any interest? What, what do you think about being a standalone documentary? How do you think it, it works? For me, it completely works because um, their music is still not something I'm going to rush out to, to get the back catalogue. Maybe, you know, the I think their last one, Glorious Bastards, uh, I might get that. I think that's got uh, a nice day to go to the pub on it. And right. they're sounding really, really tight there. But musically, it's not necessarily my bag, most of it, but, you know, completely because it has, as you've been saying all this time, Tim, you know, this whole picture of uh, these guys uh, showing these other sides to them, but it's not the main focus of the film. And it's it's happy with a few sad moments thrown in, you know, as you. I really felt like I cared about. Um, about these people, despite the fact that you know they're doing behaviours that you know acapella groups don't necessarily do on the road. Uh, so, <laughs> no, no, I, 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 no, for me as a, as a documentary, completely worked. I, I, yeah, give it a two thumbs up. I loved it. Yeah, I would, um, I, I would say as a piece of filmmaking, it's it's fine. It's not great, but it's not bad. Um, but I think it does succeed on the strength of its subject matter purely because they are such a bunch of likeable, amiable, funny guys. Um, I, I don't think, you know, the, the filmmaking aspects, I don't think they're going to win any awards or anything, but because... And it's not even that it's a particularly great or interesting story, like Wendy mentioned earlier. It's just they are such a bunch of charismatic and funny guys, particularly Ross... You know, if it was just two hours of Ross sat there drinking and talking, that would get two thumbs up from me, you know. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I think overall it's a success. I really enjoyed it. Wasn't it, it was that, great. wasn't it that, that great line where Ross says, um, I've I, I forgotten who it was that suggested it to him, probably uh, one of the guys out of the Melvins. It said, uh, go play us one of your funny songs. And he said, I didn't know it was what he Mark was Arm, yeah. It was, yeah. I, I didn't know what I didn't know that we wrote any funny songs. He, They're he's all completely funny. deadpan and completely straight and honest about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And the pranks, yeah. the pranks that they pulled. I love I love the bit where Kevin Kevin Rotnana is the old bass player from the Melvins when he's talking about, you know, Robbie passing out, the first uh, guy to pass out in the night and Ross winds up sticking a, a smoked salmon in his bum and then he <laughs> He wakes up and he's just got this angelic smile on his face and he's just like, yeah, I was the first guy that fell asleep. Yeah, I get the fish in my bum. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the uh, the story where they're sharing the dressing room with Helmet and they put uh, the Helmet uh, dressing room sign on the uh, dunny, as they yeah, call yeah. it, on the dunny yeah. door. And so Helmet come in and they all file, single file, down this corridor and right there's just the a back. toilet at the end of it. <laughs> That is amazing. And knowing what a bunch of kind of uptight hard asses uh, helmet yeah. always seemed to be to me yeah, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was fucking genius. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. So, <laughs> so, Wendy, did you get anything positive from this experience or negative? Whatever? You know, they're entertaining people. <laughs> uh, Wendy, bringing on the hate. <laughs> Bringing on the indifference, more like. Okay. Exactly, exactly. It's yeah. not full on hate. It's like you know, I'd rather be hanging out with the Minutemen or something in a documentary for two hours. I don't know. They're all right. They're all right. <laughs> did you did, did you laugh at any points? Was there anything that kind of tickled you, or was it all just a bit like, nah? No, no. It 
tickle me, but but once again, I'm like, I, I just felt like, oh, yeah, bands getting drunk, doing dumb shit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> why why do I, I want to ask you, why is that not film worthy, Wendy? It is, it's just that I feel like, you know, I could be reading Hammer of the Gods, I could be like, you know, I felt like it's something that just happens with every band, I don't feel it's, uh, it's tremendously unique, you know, isn't that just I, kind of a thing? I think we could be uh, like, a film about like Marilyn Manson having enema races backstage or something it would still be the same kind of thing no but they'd probably just sit back and drink tea and worship Satan how interesting is that <laughs> I think what you're hitting Wendy stop podium, all right? yeah. what, what you're hitting Wendy is kind of uh, what I what I call the uh, the spinal tap phenomena where you know no really because when when spinal tap came out as a film there was a lot of musicians that went and sold spinal tap and a lot of them were really kind of pissed off, and they said, "This isn't funny. That happened to me. I, I've lived this. I've done this. You know, I mean, like Journey had that problem with it. Yeah. Uh, Tom Waits was one who who thought it wasn't funny because he said, "Yeah, every musician's experienced this. What's so funny about that? You know, I mean, yeah. no. But I think, you know, but I think with the Psychos though, is it's their, per, you know, it's not. They're not just another band that are getting drunk and and doing foolish things. It's their characters." And it's just the fact that, you know, these guys never expected to be anywhere. I mean, like, how many bands do you know that are going to, like, yeah, we're going to do the tour. Yeah, we're going to fuck all the groupies. Yeah, we're going to drink all the beer. Yeah, we're going to get signed. We're going to be famous, you know. And Ross is just kind of like, eh, if I, you know, I'll drink a couple of beer. I'll sit on my farm. Eh, whatever, you know. I mean, to me, they were, they were kind of nonplussed about everything they did. That was That was kind of what I took from it, you know. It wasn't. It wasn't an intention of just going out, and, and uh, with the intent of you know being on MTV or, or getting signed. I think it was just you know them just doing what they do. You know, like it, it was more about their character and less about the whole dream. You know. Yeah, I like the fact that it's kind of funny. It's like all of their experiences to to dig from were, were about like being on the farm and 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 doing this kind of stuff. You know, and like even when they talked to his ex girlfriend. Uh, you know, she when she talked about the difference, the vast difference between like when he would come to New York and her going to Australia and seeing what his life was like. You know, it's 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 like it's such a weird sort of reverse. Uh, it was, it was uh, crocodile. Like, it was crocodile Dundee. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But yeah, but I mean, yeah, it was like what, a, a reverse punk rock. Like you know, right. most people are singing about the streets and singing about the hard life on the streets, and they're singing about you know what they know. They're singing right. about the farm. Exactly, and that's what's yeah, amazing. Yeah. I love my tractor. Long live Massey Ferguson! <laughs> that, that's just awesome. And like, what do you guys? What do you guys think about um, to close here? What do you guys think about what I was saying earlier about that whole symbol of the tractor as being Ross? I think I think that that whole bulldozer is the real symbol of the film. And I mean, even when you know L Seven gets to go down on the farm and they're like, "Yes, we get to stand on the tractor!" Like, "Oh, this is awesome!" You know. I hadn't considered it, but yeah, that that works. That I, I'm, that might well have been something that Matt Weston had had in mind uh, when when making the film. It was already it was an iconic album cover, and the, the farm was a strong part of Ross Knight's life. So yeah, sure, that worked. Sure. Mm-hmm. Ross is built like a freaking tractor as well, isn't he? So oh, it, it kind of makes perfect sense. I bet he could yeah, play tug of, tug of war with a tractor. Oh yeah, no doubt. Well, anyway. Mm. Uh, like to thank you all for uh, 
spending time with me again recording this. And I'd like to thank all the listeners for actually uh, taking the time to bend their ear and listen to us uh, jaw jack and uh, talk about the Australian punk rock. So who's up next? Well, uh, we are going to delve into our listener requests. We put up something on the Facebook page a couple of months ago and asked uh, listeners, pick four films for us uh, to review over the year, and we'll, um, we'll do some listener requests. So uh, the first one was requested by James Curley. So, James, if you're listening, uh, your, uh, your chosen film will be uh, talked about in April, and it's the... Um, documentary about uh, Rocky Erickson you're going to miss me uh, nice. so um, very much looking forward into uh, digging into that there'll be um, no doubt a lot of stuff to talk about uh, Rocky's Rocky's life and time bit of a bit of a tragic figure so um, yes but that'll be our April's edition you're going to miss me the uh, Rocky Erickson story as requested by James Curley thanks for uh, making the suggestion James and uh, you're more than welcome to join us if you so wish uh, but um, yeah, that's that's where we're going in April on the See Here podcast episode sixteen. All right, great. With that being said, anybody else uh, have anything to uh, push? Anything to pull? Any beer Just cans to hang off our dangly bits? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, no, no, nothing. Okay. With that being said, sorry. <laughs> we, we we bid you adieu, and uh, thanks again for listening. We appreciate it. And any any listener uh, feedback, requests, uh, free oh, yes. beer, anything anything you want to send our way, aside from malaria, any Ebola. We have the, uh, we have the uh, see here Facebook group, so you can go uh, facebook.com yeah. forward slash groups forward slash see here h e a r, but you probably know that, or you can email us at see uh, here podcast at gmail dot com. Cheers. Bye. Thanks, guys. Cheers. NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Points.